Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Pastor Jeff is out of the office for this week. He's done a heck of a lot, so therefore he deserves this time off. So he, I'm just filling in for him this morning. I hope everyone here at Woodland Church has had a great holiday season, had a wonderful new year. I know that I have. Now, it's Christmas season is over, right? It's done. That was last year. We don't need to worry about decorations. I, I'm guessing no one's taking their tree down yet, but it's over. We shouldn't think about it anymore. We're done with that. Well, you can go to the next slide. I would argue that we're not done with it yet, that we shouldn't be. We all know, and actually the one song that the praise team sang, King of Kings, told the entire story of what Christ has done. We know why Christ came to earth. We know that he came to earth because we're sinners. We can't be even close with God because of that sin. We know that he was born in a manger. He lived a sinless life and died on the cross so that we would have a way back to God, that we could be with him. We know all those things. But I would say there's another reason why we should still be thinking about Christmas. And you can go to the next slide. And that is because the life of Christ, the life that he lived, is the perfect model and the perfect example of how we should live our lives. And so once again, if anyone would like a sheet, there are sheets on the back tables over there. Um, I do have fill-in sheets for us because I like to keep people busy and not falling asleep. Um, So, but today's passage is Philippians. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And we're going to see how Christ set an example for us. That we can look back at the life that he lived on earth after he was born in the manger, before he died on the cross, and how that life sets an example for us that should give us, get us off in the right foot for this new year. So I'm going to have us stand together as we read Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8 this morning. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we are here before you this morning humbled that you even chose to love us. And so this morning, I just ask that we hear from you this morning, that you help us to realize the example that your son set. So we just pray for you to bless this time. We pray this in in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. You can go to the next slide. Yes, perfect. Perfect. So a little background on 
Philippi, the name, the city that this book is named after. Now, Philippi, again, you can't read the word, but the arrow is perfectly accurate. Philippi is right near Greece in that area. In the first century AD, it was the most important city in the Roman colony of Macedonia. It was named after Alexander the Great's father, Philip. And that is where Alexander started his expansion out of Macedonia into Greece and then much of the world. But you can also read about Philippi and Paul's exploits in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. It started with a vision that he received where a Macedonian man asked Paul to come and help us in Macedonia. So he and his party, which included Silas and Timothy, and then Luke was also there as a witness, they traveled to Macedonia and they eventually ended up in Philippi. And if you read in Acts chapter 16, a lot of momentous things happened there. They converted a woman named Lydia to the faith, and she became the centerpiece of the church in Philippi. A lot of women were the centerpiece of that church, which is the first church in Europe that Paul founded. And then there was also, and we actually read about this in Monday Night Bible Study in Roy's class, there was a slave girl who was possessed by a spirit of divination. She would tell you what's going to happen to you in the future. While these people took advantage of her gift and exploited it. While Paul came along and, immediate, and, and knew that she was possessed by a demon and told the demon to come out, and the demon did. Well, those people that were using her for profit did not like this. And eventually, Paul and Silas ended up in jail in Philippi. And there was a great earthquake, and the prison doors flew open, and Paul and Silas could have just escaped. And the Philippian jailer was about to kill himself because he knew the great trouble he would be in if his superiors found out that his prisoners escaped. But Paul stopped him and spoke with him and eventually actually led his entire, he and his entire family to faith in Christ. All this happened in Philippi. Now fast forward, near the end of Paul's life, probably when he was in prison in Rome, he wrote a letter to the Philippians because he'd received a very generous gift from the Philippians by Epaphroditus. And this letter was an encouragement letter. The church of Philippi were, were doing things right. They were spreading the gospel and the word of Christ. And so this letter was actually, hey, you're doing great things. Keep it up. And so Paul wanted to encourage them. And we should take this as an encouragement to us to just continue to push forward in this life with Christ. So let's dive in. Again, you have a sheet in front of you. If you look at verse 1, next slide, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... It's not really an if statement. Paul is saying this life that we have in Christ, we have sympathy, we have joy, we have participation with the Holy Spirit. We have all those things. And so if we do, then keep it going. In verse 2, 
complete my joy, if those things are true, which they are, if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, then have the same mind, the same love as one another, being in full accord. And so on your sheets this morning, the first fill in the blank, as brothers and sisters in Christ, you can go to the next slide, we should think alike. And I'm going to pause here for a moment because this is very important. Paul is giving a rallying cry to the Philippians and to us. Jerry, Aaron, Joanne, Molly, none of us live this Christian life in isolation on our own island by ourselves. I mean, yes, we are called to live for Christ, but I, I don't live this life alone by myself. We live this life together. And I think that is possibly one of the most important reasons for church to exist. This church building is not just to come in and listen to a person babbling on from the stage and worship is amazing, but even that's not the only reason we come into church. But we come into church so that we can encourage one another. We can sharpen one another. We can give each other the resolve to walk outside these doors and be a light for Christ. That, to me, is possibly the most important reason why church building or even small groups exist. To rally around one another. So therefore, as a heading to your next section in your paper, you can fill in, in what ways should we think alike? And so everything that we see after verse 2 is Paul expounding on how we should think alike. In what ways should brothers and sisters in Christ have the same mind? And I will make a clarification. When he says think alike, he's not saying Politically, he's not saying that we're going to think alike on every aspect of politics or even every aspect of theology. We're not going to always see eye to eye on those things. But as a body of Christ, we should have the same love for those around us, the same love of Christ for those outside these walls. That is how we should be of one mind. And so in verse 3, this is Paul saying how we should Think alike. So the next slide. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I don't need to see anyone raise their hands, but I'm guessing that there's a few people in this room that are exactly like me. They're selfish, often. I, I, many times, I will do everything. I need to get this done now because if I don't get this done now, I won't be able to accomplish my agenda. I, I don't care what you have going on. I need to do this. If I don't get this done, then I'm going to be way behind. I'm going to be all set back. So you have to help me get this done now. And so many times, I don't care about what this person needs to get done because I only care about my own ambitions, my own agenda. But that's not how Christ has called us to live this life. So the, and there's one verse. If you can go back one slide just for a second, Moin. There's one word, one characteristic 
that we should focus in on from this verse, that all of us should have. Can anyone see what that one characteristic is on that slide? Humility. When we humble ourselves, we're bringing ourselves low. We're bringing ourselves down, below the plane of another person. That's what it means to humble ourselves. Now you can go to the next slide. So point number one on your sheets this morning, this is the how we should think alike, is to value others over yourself. If you stop and picture anything for a moment, you can probably picture a person who does this, who you've seen do this. And I can, I can look around and see many, many, many people in this room that have done this, that they have valued others over themselves. I mean, hopefully a Christian husband will value his wife over himself. Hopefully a Christian employer will value her employees over herself. Hopefully a well-behaved older sister will, be, will value her bratty younger brother above herself. Hopefully a son will value his estranged father over himself. I remember Christmas Day 2015. My wife Katie, sitting right here, had a massive heart attack. We were in Menominee with our family, with her family, and it kind of threw us for a loop. We ended up spending almost the entire day in Green Bay. Well, there's one couple, and they know who they are. They came and spent several hours in Green Bay from up here. They traveled down. They prayed with Katie and I. Well, they prayed with me. Katie wasn't in the room. <laughs> they prayed with me. They prayed with our family. And they heard of a predicament that we had. Going to Menominee with family, I'd brought a work truck because I was intending on bringing a couch from our in-laws back up here. Well, now I'm in Green Bay. I have a work truck in Menominee, and I have no intention of going back to Menominee or especially Marquette anytime soon. Well, that couple, they set aside their Christmas plans. They completely changed them. And they took that work truck all the way back up to Marquette for me. So I didn't have to worry about it. They valued Katie and me above themselves that day. Instead of spending time with their family on Christmas Day, they, they did that. Verse 4, you can go to that next verse, is more of the same from Paul. Except he's going just a step farther. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul's conceding that, yes, we have to look to our own interests. You know, you can, you can keep it on the verse there for a little longer, Boyne, sorry. Boyne is just on top of it. He's like, he's the man. Um, he, Paul's conceding. That, I have, that we have interests. We need to keep the lights on. We need to stay fed. We need to be clothed, most likely. We need to make sure that our, our children are fed, are healthy. So he's, he knows that's true. But what about your neighbor? 
What about your friend? What about your sibling even that's down on his or her luck? We need to, and to look to the interests of others means we have to actually know what their needs are. We have to take enough interest to know and to think, to ask maybe even, what is that person's interest? It's not just a passing thought. Uh, That person would really like a gift card. I'm going to give him a gift card. You're looking to the needs of another person. And so the slide that you can put up now, Moyne. Point number two is that we should take an interest in the interests of others. That same Christmas season, Katie and I eventually ended up in Milwaukee, where we spent almost two weeks. Katie was in an induced coma. And I can't really say that I was thinking much about what had to be done in Marquette. I wasn't really focused on paying the electricity or anything like that. I was more of just a fog of existence, just living. But there were people that did think about our needs. And so a few days after Christmas, I got a phone call saying, hey, what can we do to help? What, what can we do? Is there anything we can do? And so I, I don't even think I really responded. So I'm like, uh, sure, I, I'm guessing there is. And that same party then asked if they could pay for our rent. I'm like, sure. And so that party paid for two months of rent where Katie and I still live. So once again, that party thought of, they valued, they took an interest in our needs, setting theirs aside for the time being. And so these stories are just the tip of the iceberg. And I'm not just talking about that one, Christmas, that one winter season. It's the tip of the iceberg of how people have rallied around Katie and I. And I've seen many other people rally around other groups of people just in this church. But those people exemplified what we're going to be reading in these next several verses. So let's take a look at verses 5 through 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is the punch of Paul's message. He said, the stuff that I've just told you about, this is how you can do it. So how do we put others first? Keep that on, the, on there just for a second. How, as the body of Christ, together, do we put the needs of others, how do we put others first? And the answer does immediately follow it on your paper. Put on the mind of Christ. And that is the title of the message today, is the mind of Christ. And you can keep it there for a little bit. See, Paul challenged us. He challenged us to do nothing out of vain conceit, value others above yourself. And so as you're reading it, you're kind of like, well, how do you do that? He gave us the how-to manual right here. And as I said at the beginning, we know why Christ came to earth. That one song explained all of it pretty much, why Christ came to earth for us and where he reigns today. And also, as I said earlier, today is Communion Sunday, 
where we take time to meditate and focus on the effort, the sacrifice that it took for Christ to willingly allow himself to go on to that cross. He's God. He didn't have to let himself be taken to that cross. If you look back to early in Jesus' ministry when he was in the desert for 40 days, he was tempted by Satan multiple times. And every single time he was tempted by Satan, Satan was pretty much saying, you're God, you can do this for yourself, why don't you just do it now? And again, Christ could have just said, I don't need to go to the cross, I'm God, why do I need to do this? But he didn't. But we have the Gospels so that we can study everything in between the manger and the cross. We can study everything that Christ did, the example that he set for us. And so Paul is saying this is how, as a body of Christ, we are to be like-minded. We are to take on the mind of Christ. And so the Apostle John, and I don't think I wrote this down in your sheet anywhere, so you can write this down, on 1 John Chapter 2, verse 6, and you can put that on there. This is the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is his letter that he wrote. He said, whoever says he abides in him, Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So John echoes this. If you say you are a Christian, if you say you belong to Christ, you need to walk as he did. <coughs> Christ emptied himself, the verses that we read before. He's fully God, and yet he came down to earth. That whole passage actually lists many ways that Christ continued to humble himself. Christ was in heaven. He's God in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He gives up heaven to come down to earth. He humbles himself by coming down to earth. And then he humbles himself again by taking on human likeness. The likeness of sinful man. Again, the likeness of sinful man. Unholy man. And then he emptied himself. Everything, every miracle that he did, every healing that he did, when he fed the 5,000, when he walked on water, he did those things because it was his father's will. Because his father asked him to do that. He did nothing simply to push his own agenda forward. This was the will of his father. And so the least that we can do, as it shows on the screen, and this is what Christ did, is to become a servant to all. Everything Paul talked about, has talked about so far, can be seen in the life and the actions of Christ Jesus. For example, Christ, who had the role of rabbi to his disciples, that really pretty much was the role that he had. He was their teacher, he was their master. 
He chose to do something that no rabbi would do normally. He chose to wash his disciples' feet. He was their master. He was their rabbi, their teacher, and yet he humbled himself again and washed the disciples' feet. And who was among those disciples whose feet he washed? Judas, who he knowingly knew. I mean, he already knew. I mean, he's always known, but it did clarify even there in the the Scriptures that he knew he had to do these multiple things, actually, to fulfill Scripture. Yet he willingly washed the feet of the person who would betray him to fulfill the will that his father had, to fulfill the Scriptures. And then near the end of his life, in the Last Supper, he broke bread with his disciples. And once again, who was also among those disciples whom he broke bread with? Judas. So once again, he was a servant to all. And and there's so many examples where he didn't care about class structure. He didn't care about whether it was proper to interact with a Samaritan woman when all the other disciples would have just walked on the other side of the street. They would not go anywhere let a child interrupt what he was doing and let that ch- those children come to him. That was just unheard of. But Christ, over and over again, humbled himself to become a servant for all. Let's look at verse 8. And Christ, being found in human form, he humbled himself, there's that word again, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And you can leave that up for a minute. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jeff talked about carrying our cross. And he made a point where this is not just a quaint, you know, that's my cross to bear, I'm going to carry my cross. It's not just something flippant that we throw around. But that if we call ourselves followers of Christ, we should be willing to follow him even to death. He is calling us to death. I think Roy or other people can probably point out, the, I don't know if it was Bonhoeffer, who was it specifically that said when Christ calls us, he calls us to follow him even to death. Totally butchering the, the quote. And so in this verse, I feel Paul is saying this. And this is your number point four on your sheet this morning. That we should be obedient to the Holy Spirit no matter what. Right at the very beginning of this passage, if there's any sympathy in Christ, any gift, any participation in the Spirit, we know we have the Holy Spirit If we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. And so he's simply saying, if you are a follower of Christ, once again, you have the Holy Spirit. Listen to his calling, no matter what ends that may be. You might be called to abandon where you live, everything you're comfortable with, to go to Kentucky. Or you might be called to stay right where you're at, but serve in a way that you never thought you'd serve. 
Christ was obedient even to death on a cross. He even asked, you know, can this cup be taken from me? But he knew that it couldn't. He knew that that was his Father's will. And it actually turned out pretty well for Christ. I didn't read the last two verses, or the next three verses. You can put them on the screen. Verses 9 through 11 in chapter 2 of Philippians. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the Jesus that we serve, that we give everything for. And yet he gave up everything for us so that we could be with him, so that there would be a way for us to be reconciled with the Father again. I don't know about you, but I want to serve a Savior like that, and I do, gladly. And yet he lived his life on earth to be the perfect example for us on how to live our lives. If only we'd pay attention, if only we'd read, and only follow and listen And so if you don't know this Savior this morning that did give up everything for us, was a servant to all and was risen, has risen again and lives and reigns so that we can have abundant life.